got to tell you what happened to me yesterday. I was here working at the church. It was around noon, and uh, uh, something bad happened. So I text my uh, family. We're kind of our own support group, Matrice and Lauren, Nathan, Andrew, and Sam. So I, temp- I text them, and I-, I let them know that the mailman was coming in, uh, jumped out of his truck, forgot to put it in park. And it rammed into, I must have had high idle on that baby because it took into my car and just took out the whole side of my car. It looked like a tank hit it. And I'm, so I'm texting, told this to my folks, and I said, you know, pray for my family, pray for me, I'm just about at my end. And Therese texts me back and she says, I'm so sorry, I'm praying for you right now. Uh, don't worry, God's got this thing all figured out. Nathan texts me back immediately. He says, uh, Dad, it's just a car, we can fix that. Uh, you can trust God, hang in there. I text these guys back, uh, just two words, April Fool's. <laughs> I love this season, I love this season. Uh, I'm not so sure they did, but I, I thought that was wonderful. That made my day, actually. Um, we are in our series, second, second part of installation of this mini-series on um, the generosity paradox. A guy named Christian Smith, sociologist out of Notre Dame, came up with a study, a uh, big study, uh, not too long back, where he, he found something that was counterintuitive. You know, in our culture, the thought is, you know, hang on to your stuff because that's what gives you security and that's, what, that's where happiness is found. This is what the marketers would say. And uh, what he found, secular, uh, prestigious study, that actually just the opposite that those who are generous have a greater uh, happiness in life. Those who are generous are healthier in life. Those who are generous um, have a greater um, appreciation for or, or uh, uh, commitment, understanding, uh, satisfaction in, in life. Those who are more generous have better relationships. I mean, just on and on, on every single level. Uh, now, Jesus was probably thinking of this, right? When he said it's more blessed to give than receive. I mean, Jesus really meant that. Uh, but I'll tell you, when you talk about giving and money, it's just kind of a... It's like a tent. You can talk about someone's sex life before you can talk about their financial life. You know, you just don't go there. Matter of fact, the surveys say that the number one reason why folk don't go to church don't go to church is because the church is always talking about money. Well, you know, as a pastor, you hear that and you go, well, I'm not going to always talk about money. Then forget it. I'm not going there. I'm going to give people room. I'm not going to confirm this. Uh, problem is, Jesus talked a lot about money. Matter of fact, he talked more about money, right, than prayer and heaven and righteousness and kindness and good words and Satan. Everything other than the kingdom of God itself. Matter of fact, if you had Jesus as your pastor, 50% of his parables on money. So every other sermon on giving, this was big. And if you you got to ask why, because the group he's talking to is, is most often are in deep poverty, so why does Jesus keep talking about this money thing? Well, you need to know some things about this, though. Jesus has never taken an offering. He never once, to my, to my knowledge, asked anybody ever for financial stuff, for their stuff. He borrowed a coin one time. To my knowledge, he gave it back. Uh, but Jesus knows something about money that 
probably most of us are oblivious to. Matthew 6, uh, Jesus says this, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and, not God and the devil, God and money. Jesus knows the greatest competitor for our soul is money. He doesn't want your money, right? He doesn't want my money. If he did, he'd take it. He's God. That's not a big deal for him. If he really wanted it, he'd just take it. He wants us. And he knows that the thing that often stands, think of the rich young ruler, between us and him is our money. He knows that money is a terrible master. It promises all kinds of stuff. Lies through its teeth, though. It's going to give you all kinds of happiness and joy. uh, And it's it's, it's filled with lies. He knows that, that the love of money is often why you've got wars, and you've got hate, and you've got murder, and you've got jealousy, and you've got discontent, and bitterness, and gossip, and and idolatry because of the love of money. Money is not sin. Right? Wealth is not sin, but it's incredibly dangerous. It's like dynamite. If you use dynamite properly, it's intended use, it's wonderful. If you use it wrongly, it's incredibly destructive. It it creates chaos and hurt, and I think we go through our culture just kind of juggling with it without realizing what Jesus is saying here. You better focus, better pay attention here. You know, when, when you think about this, you think about the survey, and you think about people don't like to talk about money, sometimes what pastors do, and I've done this, we're very apologetic. You know, it's like, I really don't want to talk about this. I know, I know you don't want me to talk about it either, uh, but it's kind of in here, and so we got to, and so let's just kind of endure this, and then we'll get over it, and I'll say some things, and if you're interested, cool, and if you're not interested in listening, that's wonderful, it's okay. Can you imagine if you preached on adultery that way, right? Oh, yeah, I know, that's offensive. And if you're interested in obeying, great. But if you're not interested in obeying, don't worry about it. It's okay. And murder, you know, if you're not interested in listening to what it says, don't worry about it. You can't go down that road. And so you say, okay, this, what he says about our finances, it's an obedience issue. And you're not free to say, don't worry about it. It's an obedience issue. We, we've got to move that way. So what we want to do this morning is we want to, uh, big picture, focus on God's perspective of our money. Okay, This is the same perspective, I think, that's in the Old Testament than this is in the New Testament. The, the specifics are different, but I think same overriding principle. So we want to start with an understanding of God's plan for giving for his people, in the Old Testament. And Old Testament giving, very complex, elaborate system. You know, not, not like our you know, IRS code thing or anything. It's, it's very complex there. And when you think of it, you think of one key word that comes to mind usually. People would say, well, tithe. Tithing, that's, that's the deal. The, the word tithe means 10%. Uh, it's not the same thing as an offering. It's not the same thing as, as giving. I mean, yes, it could be. You open your wallet, you drop a couple of bucks in. That is not a tithe unless you made 20 bucks that week. Then it's a tithe. Tithe equals 10%, right? And we think of giving in the Old Testament, I guess these guys tithe, because that's what I've always heard. And you'd be partially correct on that, because they did. First tithe that they'd come across was called the, the Levite tithe. 
And what that was is that was where the, the folk had to give 10% of all of their crops and all of their livestock. At the end of the, the season, they had to bring that 10% to the tabernacle temple that paid for the priest, that pay, kept the temple thing going, it was, it was, which is their government deal. It was uh, the, the Levite tithe. You might say, well, 10%, that's kind of steep. I don't know about that. But it's not over yet because there was another compulsory tithe that they had. They had to, it's legal. You couldn't not give this one. This one was called the celebration tithe. Now, this is a cool tithe. Uh, but keep in mind, this is, this is a legal tithe. You can't opt out of this one. Okay, it says legal tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 23 to 27 this is a cool tithe. Let's listen to this. He says, you shall tithe all the field of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. It's going to be Jerusalem. They don't know that yet, though. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. Jerusalem's down here, and you're living up here, and you can't take all the 10% of the grain and the flock. You can't deal with that. It's too far. He says, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. And look what you're supposed to do with this money. And spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. We're not going to talk about that one. Whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. You and your household. This is the celebration tithe. God's demanding that these folk take one tithe. What is one tithe of your... Don't answer out loud. What is one tithe of your pay? Just think about that. Your annual gross income, 10%. You could probably throw a pretty decent party with that, right? This is, this guy's had to, God commanded that they have a party. Not birthday party, not a special holiday party, but they go down to Jerusalem. This is a God party. This is where God's hanging out, Jerusalem. And so he wants to be the, the, uh, uh, host. He wants to be the, the guest of honor and he wants them to rejoice. He wants them to party. He wants them to, and you might be thinking, well, Okay, that's now. Now we're talking tithing. See, we got that's okay. That will work for me, but but they still are doing twenty percent now, right? There was the Levite tithe, ten percent. Now it's the celebration tithe, ten percent. You couldn't opt out of this one. You couldn't say we're going to cut back this year. You couldn't say we're not going to do. We're going to do it every other year. No, no, no. It was legal. You had to do this. Well, it's twenty percent. Okay, but it's more. There's another tithe, believe it or not. This was called the hungry tithe, the social tithe, what we call it. Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. It says at the end of every three years, see, we're getting a little bit better here. You shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. This was a third tithe, but you only had to do it every three years. So if you're figuring this all out, looks like these guys are tithing 23 plus percent. You're going, that's pretty intense. I don't, I don't know about that. That's kind of crazy. But you know what? It gets a little worse. Because not only that, see, those were the tithes. Those were required. Those were legal. Those were a law. You had to do that. But now you get into a category called the offerings. And the first one was called the, the first fruits offering. 
And the tithe always came at the end of your harvest, right? You couldn't give 10% less. You know how much you had. And so, okay, that was, the, that was the tithe. But first fruits came on the front end of your harvest. And this was, this was an optional thing. But what you do is you go out into the field or you, the shearing of your sheep. And you, you, you kind of look around and you decide how much you would want to bring. And the very first harvest, you pack into crates, bags, bar, you bring to the temple and you give it to God. You say, well, well, I I don't understand this one so much. Well, in this culture, you know, in our culture, I'm kind of chauvinistic. In our culture, though, the women and children eat first, right? And then we follow along. But in this culture, the men and the boys ate first. And the reason was because they were out in the fields working, making it. And if they go down, we all lose, right? So we have to make sure that they eat. Uh, So it's almost an honor thing. It was almost mm, most important to eat first. So that's what we're doing. So you see this first fruits? This guy gathers his food, and before he takes a bite, he's bringing it to God and saying, God, I want you to know that I know you're first, not me. You're, you're most important. It's not all about me. It's not about me. It's all about you. And I have this only because it's come from you. So I want you to know, God, this was not a begrudging thing. And give it to God. This was, and that's why you can't, you can't require generosity, right? This is, this is a, a, a intimate, spiritually powerful time between the person and God, almost recognizing anew that it's about Him, not about them. First fruits. Then, 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 you know, you say, well, how much was that? I don't know how much that was, but that was, that was so, but you know what? It keeps going. It keeps, believe it or not, it keeps going. There was, there was the, um, provision for the poor. Now, this was not a tithe, but this is provision of poor. Listen to this. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. So it doesn't really specify what the, how long deep it's got to be, but the, the, the surrounding, the frame, the perfume of your, of your fields, you didn't harvest. And matter of fact, while you're harvesting, you had to leave some. And if some fell, you just had to leave it there. This is picture Ruth, right? She's following behind the harvesters gathering. This was for the poor. And you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe how these guys are getting soaked by this thing. What is, what is the, the, the deal here? And, uh, but you need to know it's not over. There's also, according to Nehemiah, a one-third shekel tax annually. So not a lot of money, probably two days' wages, but times it by everybody in your family. It adds up after a while, and it's still going. Because after all that, then they would take up an offering. You're going, oh, for crying out loud. Are you serious? Who who in their right mind would give an offering? Whenever they had special projects, whenever they wanted to build the tabernacle, build the temple, refurbish the, the temple. Whenever they did special projects, they would take up a special offering. These guys had to have some gall to ask them for more. Are you serious? Well, they did. And, and this, is, this is what happened. Exodus 35. It says, then all the... Moses just projects this, 
this capital campaign, and you would think the people are rolling their eyes and saying, oh, forget this. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And you think, yeah, they're going to go get their pitchforks and come after him. No, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And you've got to wonder how much did this offering come in? I mean, already, these guys are already soaked. Where they, Exodus 36. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more. Can you imagine? This is, this is the stuff that church treasurers dream of, man. It's like the people are screaming, do we want to give more? No, you can't give more. Please, can I just give you more? No, no, hang on. Go spend it yourself. This is a cool picture, isn't it? This really happened. This was really kind of cool. The offering, you say, well, I don't understand. I wish I could tell you that's what's going on in my heart, but that was not going on in my heart. Why would anybody go down this road? Listen, listen to this. Deuteronomy 26, and this is, when you take into account the compulsory tithe, 23 and third percent, when you take into account the provision for the poor and not, you know, not uh, taking care of harvesting all of your, your, your grain, when you take into account the special offerings, when you take into account the, the year of Jubilee where you had to let your slaves go and you had to pack their bags, you had to set them up to succeed financially when you let them go. When you talk about the, the Sabbath year where you couldn't even plant and harvest off of your field, these guys were given at least 23 and a third percent, up to 50 percent, maybe more. And you go, why, why would anybody do this kind of thing Deuteronomy 26, this is such a key text, passage for understanding their mindset on, on, on giving. This, is, this helps us. 26, it says, Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, they weren't in it yet. They just got out of Egypt. And they're, they're hanging out. They're getting ready to go in the Holy Land. Lord, and, and Moses says, when you come into the land the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance... And then you've taken possession of it and live in it. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is first fruits, right? And you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. It's going to be Jerusalem. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, you don't just give the offering and walk away. No, no. You got to say, you got a script here. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. Important line. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. Again, you don't just give it and walk away. You got to make response. And this is what you got to say. A wandering Aramean was my father. This is talking about Abraham, but all of the patriarchs of Israel. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, great 
mighty and populous and the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place, it's the Holy Land now, and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. you you're understanding this, that, that up to this point, for the last 430 years, these guys were slaves in Egypt. Right? I mean, they didn't own dirt. I mean, literally, Pharaoh owned the dirt, right? And, and the Egyptians, they owned nothing. They didn't own themselves. They got up seven days a week when the taskmaster said get up, probably before dawn. They got home when the taskmaster said get home, probably with sunset. If they had a cold, they weren't feeling good, they weren't working as hard, the taskmasters would get their itchy trigger, trigger finger on their whip going. Okay, these guys did this, and this was every single day. And, and, and anything they had was given to them or allowed them by Pharaoh. It was less than what they really needed. Their children would go to bed hungry on a regular basis. Meanwhile, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, they are living high on the hog. And this is just the way these folk, they were slaves. But then God gets them out of that. And he doesn't just bring them to a, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, we're talking a land that was better than the Egyptian land. It was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But he gave each family a track of land. So I've got a piece of land. My family, this is mine. This doesn't belong to Pharaoh. This doesn't belong to the government. This is my land. And you could get up when you wanted to get up to work it. And if you didn't want it and you're feeling bad that day, you stay in bed. And, and God's still on top of that. He's commanding that you at least take one day off. And then he's got that celebration. Not only that, but you've got to have a big party. And you get to be the, the beneficiary of it. And when you, when you brought in the harvest, you've never done this, but we always went to, went to Pharaoh. But now, it's yours. And so you can imagine these, these folks, they, you know what? They wanted to, giving to God. This was just... And this is a key principle. Last week we said that a regenerate heart was a grateful heart. It was a generous heart. Regenerate heart, saved heart, was a generous heart. Today, a grateful heart is a generous heart. When you stop and you think about where you were and you think about what you deserve and you think about, you cannot help but be generous. We count how much they gave. I'm not so sure they did. I think they, an offering, another offering, not a problem. They were so Grateful for what he had done for them. A generous, grateful heart is a generous heart. That's that's big principle for God's people. That the tithe was was not a burden. The, the, the tithe was a, a a weapon that God gave to His people to protect them and deliver them from the insanity of materialism, which was out then. The tithe was a gift. Not a pain. Now, when you get to the New Testament, how does it look in the New Testament? If you got your Bibles, through Second Corinthians chapter eight. Yeah, let me give you a little background. Second Corinthians eight. The church in Jerusalem. What's going on is is not only there a famine, but the persecution 
from the, 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 the Jewish folk there against the church is tremendous. And basically the church in uh, Jerusalem is starving to death. They can't work. They are under great persecution. They can't eat. It, it's, it's, and so what Paul is doing is Paul's going around to all the other churches outside Jerusalem taking up an offering to send back to these guys to protect them, right? Chapter 8, verse 2 Corinthians 8, 1. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to Corinth about these churches in Macedonia. Probably Philippi is there. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overwhelmed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It, they, they, that word for extreme poverty is the word for deep. And the idea is, is these guys are in deep. They are at the bottom. They are as low as you can go. They have nothing. And not only that, they're going through extreme uh, circumstances, which was persecution. Because they claim Christ. They didn't have to claim Christ. They could not claim Christ and eat. Or they could embrace Christ and starve. This was, this was because they claimed Christ. There were some of them were killed. It was they were not just poor; they were picked on as well. They had everything going against them, and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, this is this is a rough group. Bad things going on." But look what happens: their their overflowing joy mixed with their extreme poverty equals rich generosity. We would think, oh, no, no, no. It has to include, you know, a, a greater degree of wealth. Generosity is all about how much I have. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with how much you have. As we said this last week, generosity has nothing to do with the size of your wallet or your bank account. It's got everything to do with the size of your heart. Now, how these guys were able to pull this off is that first word, the first phrase. They're overflowing joy. In other words, they stopped and they, just like in Deuteronomy 26, they recognized where they were, their hopeless state, living in their, their, their sin, their, the, the futility of worshiping the stupid idols, the, the emptiness with it, and the riches they had in Christ now, the forgiveness they had now, the price that Christ had to pay for them to be, and you know what? Overflowing joy. And so you know, when the joy is overflowing, when the gratefulness is there, you cannot help but be generous. And so that's what happens in verse 3. Paul says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Says these guys, I got there and I looked at their destitute situation, and I'm not going to take an offering amongst these guys. Forget it. They, but you know what? They surrounded me, and they said, "Paul, you're not leaving till you take an offering." So they they begged him earnestly, "Please take an offering." Come on, this is again that tre- church treasure dream thing. Oh yeah, and please take an offering. Can we take another one, Paul? And they were begging them earnestly. Why? Well, one one reason I think, other than they they understood the the. The, the riches they had in Christ. They knew where they had been. They knew what he had delivered them to. But also, they knew the plight in Jerusalem. 
They knew they could be a part of giving to build the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. And you know what? They weren't going to miss that. Remember that that grateful heart is a generous heart? You can't hold a a grateful heart down. It's just going to be generous. And they realized the situation. Now, many of y'all give to First Alliance Church, and I don't think we, my bad, have done a real good job of communicating to you the the need. You might not be able to see or understand or know where your money has gone. So let me just, this past week, let me just mention a couple of things. This past week, we have a, uh, one of the ministries of the church is a friendship ministry. It's a ministry to and for mentally challenged adults. Very few churches have one, have one like this. And several reasons, but one of the reasons is there's just not a lot of return there because these folk are not going to be your Sunday school teachers most probably. They're not going to be your key tithers. Um, but we reach out. We, we love them every other week. You've got 35 mentally challenged adults, different levels, and their caregivers are here. And they are told about Christ. This past week, they were presented with the gospel and approximately six professed to give their life to Christ this past week. Now, who knows what they're thinking? But you know, does God love Mentally, yes, ab- absolutely. This past week in this room, we had our upward celebration. Now, upward is our is our elementary age basketball outreach. We got about two hundred kids here for weeks. Uh, Seventy-five to eighty percent of them don't come here. Vast majority of them don't go to church anywhere. But throughout those last few weeks, they're hanging with coaches who, who are godly folk. Then this past week, four hundred plus those kids and their parents are in this room. They're hearing the gospel presented to some of these guys hearing it for the very first time presented to them as well. Just this past week, we had our Anna's Sisters luncheon. Anna's Sisters is our ministry to and for widows. We had almost 40 widows from FAC and the community come where we just loved on them. We gave them a nice, Kathy Kuntz and our team gave them a credible meal. We gave them a rose and we played games and we had a special speaker in sharing the claims of Christ with, with them. Just this past week, I, I found out with our youth, you know, they've got a special trip this summer and the kids are going to a camp as it were. But this is not a camp where you shoot BB guns and do archery. This is a camp where you, going into Chicago, where you spend hours each day learning how to share your faith and then you get out in the streets of Chicago and you share it with the goal that you'll come back home and take what you've learned into the hallways of your school. We thought we might get 15 kids. We've had over 30 sign up to go on this thing. Can you imagine students from this place are saying, I want to learn how to share my faith. I want to make a difference for Christ in my school. What an incredible, incredible thing. You know, and it goes on and on. This, this week, DC4K, it's our ministry to kids whose parents are going through a divorce. They're often the huge victims there. Two kids this week going through DC4K have surrendered their life to, to Christ. Uh, we can go on and on. You can talk about the women's ministry, which is a flagship ministry here. Literally hundreds of women are introduced to Christ and, and told about Christ and grown in their faith and reached out to every year here. We can, we can talk about our, our support groups that I have, we, that we have here. Uh, you, 
incredible support group ministry. We can talk about our global missions where we support, y'all support, 700 missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance in 70 different countries from um, Muslim bloc and Buddhist and Hindu bloc, atheistic countries, many of them closed to the Gospels. But, but international workers are going in, sharing their faith, and you just need to know people are really responding, coming to Christ. Churches are being built. New believers, we help support that. We partner with Remember New. We've got a food pantry. We've got men's studies where they're building up the dads. On and on and on. I'm biased. I know I'm biased. But I think there's no bigger bang for your buck spiritually than investing in your local church here at FAC. I'm on the inside. I know I'm on the inside. But let me tell you this. Of all the places I've been, the fat has been trimmed. The fat has been cut. Matter of fact, I would almost say we've cut into the muscle a little bit and God's blessing in major, major ways. There's, there's uh, uh, God's working th- through FAC. The Macedonians saw that need and they, they, they responded They responded well. Um, verse 5, and this is why they did this. And this, not as we expected, this is what they did, not as we expected, verse 5, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Giving your stuff to God, you just need to know, uh, is, is useless unless you first give yourself to God. So let me, let me say this, be real clear, be real clear. As clear as I can be. Please do not give your money to First Alliance Church. Okay, I'm, I'm really serious. Please do not because he does not need your money. Please do not give your money to First Alliance Church until you have first given yourself to the Lord. This is not a salvation issue. This is, this is, this is regular rededication. This is regularly coming before him and, and saying, Lord, I'm yours and I want you to use me in every way I can, you possibly can use me. Because if you don't do that first, you just start giving the money, it's going to be bitterness. And there's going to be pain and there's going to be hatefulness. But if you first give yourself to him, you know what? That stuff can be let go of a lot, a lot easier. Verse 7. So now Paul has kind of used these guys as an example. Now he's talking to the Corinthians, right? Face to face. And he says, but as you excel in everything, you Corinthians, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Corinthians, your church is nothing like the Macedonian church. Your church is affluent. You've got great things going on. You've got great gifts. You've got stuff is happening. And you, you're having quiet time and you're praying and you're caring. But you know what? You're kind of dropping the ball over here. And you excel. You need to excel, not just barely get by. You need to excel over here as, as well. I wonder if we talk talk to me, if he'd talk to you, if he would say, you know, you're doing good, A, B, C, D. But you know, this area here, 9 out of 10 is not, not going to work here. Right? This area, you've got to pick it up here. Because the reality is there is no spiritual maturity outside a generous heart. There's just no spiritual maturity. We can think that I'm doing all these other, and this one piece that's just a minor one. As long as I'm doing the other things, reality is there's no Spiritual maturity. A spiritually mature heart is a generous heart as, as well. Remember last week we said there's that kind of evolution of, uh, of uh, uh, 
generosity. There's the no givers where one fifth of dedicated come twice a month at least people who claim to love the Lord. One fifth of them, 20% of them give nothing. This is not my surveys, Christian Smith's surveys. Give nothing to any charitable organization in or outside the church. One fifth. Then there are the slow givers. And the slow givers give mm, sporadically. On occasion, they'll hear something and go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give here. And the poor person over there needs something. And yeah, that missionary needs something. And so they'll give once in a while. And they will think, there, I'm, I'm generous because I gave over here. And the thing two months ago. Um, third category, though, is the grow givers. And that comes out of uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, where, where, where Paul mentions this. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, so it's kind of regular, right? First day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So you're giving uh, regularly, you're giving intentionally, you're not based on my feelings, not based on what the story said, not based on what the sermon good, that's kind of things, that's not, I'm giving regularly, I'm giving intentionally, and I'm giving in proportion to how I've been blessed, and let me just encourage you, if you are in a no-giver or a slow-giver category, to just ramp it up to the biblical grow-giver category. You say, well, okay, here's the question then, and we get back to it. How much proportion to my income? Where do we need to go with there? Let me just throw this number out. This is not law. Old Testament, they started at, remember, 10%. Let me challenge you to start there. And you've got to be going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, I mean, that's a bit steep. I'm not able to deal with that. You know, it has, has been for everybody starting off, but I want to uh, invite Jeff Hurst to come on up for a minute and share with you just a little bit of, of, of his, his story. And his story could go on for a long time. Hopefully we'll get there one day, but share with us, Jeff. Yeah, this is, I like to think of it more, this is God's story, and I just happen to be a part of it. Um, so this, this happened a number of years ago. I was about 27 years old, and um, I'm pretty much a financial mess, living paycheck to paycheck, um, barely scraping by, um, not at all a good steward of whatever God had given me, which wasn't much, and I wasn't doing a good job with it, so why would he give me more? Um, so at that time, I'm part of the Young Professionals class, and uh, Greg Marshall is teaching us, and he's talking about giving and tithing. and. The whole time the Holy Spirit's convicted me, and I'm having an argument with God. God, I, I know I understand, but I don't, I don't have any more. You know, I, don't, I, I can't afford to give. I don't have anything. It's all going out. Um, so then one Sunday, Pastor Rick preached about giving and tithing, and I'm sitting there, and he's talking directly to me. There's nobody else in the building, just me. And um, I'm having the same argument with God. God, I understand. I hear you, but I, I don't have any. I, I can't afford to give. I don't. You know, there's no more to give. So I go to Sunday school after church, and uh, Pastor Greg's reviewing what Rick talked about, and um, the Holy Spirit's pounding on me again. And so finally, I'm like, all right, Lord, fine, enough. I can't take it. You want my money so bad? Here. Took out my checkbook, wrote a check. At the time, I was uh, working for Lighthouse Pools. I worked on Sunday, so I came, put my tithe check in the offering box, and I went to work. Um, as I'm driving to work, I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm like, um... That check I just wrote, there's not going to be enough to cover that. Um, we don't encourage that you do that. But anyway, keep going, Jeff. That's good. So I go to work. Um, it's the end of January. I sell swimming pools and hot tubs, and, and nobody buys that stuff at the end of January. Um, but lo and behold, I made two really good sales that day, totally out of the blue, didn't expect it, not expecting it at all. So I'm driving home, doing the math in my head, 
And my commissions on those two sales were double the check that I just wrote that morning. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit says to me, do you trust me now? And immediately the lesson was that I learned and I understood God didn't want my money. He didn't need my money. He wanted me. He wanted my heart. He needed my heart. And until I was willing to give that to him, he, he couldn't do anything else with me. There was, there was no way I could do any more for him until I learned that lesson. And after that lesson was taught to me, then the blessings flowed. And it had nothing to do with money. It was all about where was my heart and did he have it. And the end of the story basically is, and this is just kind of a nice byproduct, I guess, is um, since that day, I haven't failed to tithe. And since that day, I've never not been able to pay a bill or meet any obligation I've ever had to meet. I haven't been swimming in money, but I've never needed anything that God hasn't taken care of and provided. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jeff is one of our elders. If you want to talk to him, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you, share more of his, his own journey with you on, on that. As, as we, we, we close, again, the, 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 the challenge I want to go back to was that idea of, of first, before you give anything to God, again, it's not interested in the money, uh, give yourself to him. And so let me, let, me, let me ask you this, not hopefully you, know, you come to know Christ and you realize he's died for you and you've entrusted your life to him, but have you given yourself to him since then? That's a long time ago. But have you, you come daily to him and say, Lord, I, I am, I'm yours. Let me encourage you strongly to go down. That, that might be the starting place for you. 